All right, and welcome back to another edition of the Locked On College Football Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Reed, alongside Jonah Tolls. We are back and better than ever. You know, it was a long and eventful weekend in college football. The college football playoffs, we have some early declarations, and we also have some surprises as far as guys returning to school. We're going to dive into all that. We're also going to get into the New Year's Six Bowl games and some of the prospects that we'll be having our eye on. But first, Jonah, I must ask, there's a lot going on in Texas. You know, the Cowboys, man, there's so much other stuff going on as well, but the Cowboys, man, Jason Garrett, there's been so many rumors swirling about that. You know, I always have to ask you about that as far as, you know, what's going on. We know his contract ends January 14th, but just touch briefly on what you think is going to happen and what you think should happen. Now, here's the deal with Jason Garrett. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And Jerry Jones is going to give him the time to do all his exit interviews and all that. But he understands Jason Garrett is going to be a candidate at some of, the, some of these other jobs. So he's going to let him go before his contract ends. But it won't be like this unceremonious firing kind of deal. It'll be almost like just letting him pursue other opportunities, right? Um, so I, here's, I, I put this on Twitter the other day. Jason Garrett, it would be a great option for these rebuilding teams. Because he, even though his ceiling on, like, for example, the Cowboys, he, he peaked out with the Cowboys. His ceiling on his teams, he'll, he'll get you to the playoffs, but he won't do anything there. It's almost like Mike Zimmer in a way. Whereas, you know, he'll bring stability. He'll bring, you know, he'll bring a culture to that team. You have a high floor. You'll be 8-8, eight 9-7, and, eight, and, and you can get to the playoffs, but you won't go even more than that. I think he can build, if he goes to a team like the Jaguars or the Giants, be great options for them to kind of rebuild and kind of retool the culture of those organizations, especially where you have inner tor- turmoil on both those places. Carolina as well would be a great spot for him too. So Jason Garrett, I think he's going to pursue other head coach opportunities, and we can see in the next 48 hours or so something done. And I think a whole overhaul to the entire Dallas coaching staff is about to happen. But I would be remiss if I didn't little gloat over the LSU-Oklahoma game. And let me tell you, I posted something on Twitter uh, Saturday morning about Oklahoma, uh, uh, Oklahoma's defense and how LSU may not even <laughs> pump the ball. I had, like, I'm not even joking with you, thousands of Oklahoma fans in my mentions saying how dumb it was, how I haven't watched a single Oklahoma game all year, saying they had the best defense in the Big 12. I was like, man, y'all gave, y'all let Kansas State put 48 on y'all, Ohio State 41. What do you think Joe Burrow and them are going to do? And lo and behold, 56 points at halftime. Joe Burrow, five, uh, 500 passing yards. Justin Jefferson had like four touchdowns in the first half. I mean, it was ridiculous. Clinic, man. It was you know what? They did punt like twice. Yeah. But Joe Burrow threw like a, like an NCAA record or a college ball playoff record uh, in passing yards in a single half. And he had eight touchdowns. <laughs> it's ridiculous, it, man. It was glorious to dunk on the Oklahoma fans on Saturday. But you know what? A lot of good players in the Oklahoma LSU game. I'm sure we'll get we'll get to touch on that later in the pod. It was like playing. You remember NCAA college football? And you first get the game, you play <laughs> yeah. it on like junior varsity. That was like the lowest <laughs> level. Yeah, <it> <laughs> That's so exactly what it was like, man. <laughs> Burrow was absolutely surgical, man. It was crazy. He was four but verticals every play. It was crazy, man. He was playing. It was on rookie mode in the sense if you're playing Madden. But we do have some things we have to get to. The first thing that I want to talk about though is. 
we had some guys go back to school surprisingly. The first right. one was Dylan Moses, the Alabama linebacker, and the second was Marvin Wilson, the big nose tackle from Florida State. But I want to talk about Dylan Moses first just because he is the more notable name of the two just because he plays at Alabama, so those guys are going to be glorified a bit more. And we've been hearing about Dylan Moses ever since he was in the eighth grade. But unfortunately, he did tear his ACL before the team's very first game going into Duke when they did play them in Atlanta during the first week of the season. So we weren't able to see him this year. But it was a really interesting decision for him to go back to school. And I say that because it's a very weak linebacker class, and I thought he really could have cashed in on this opportunity just because we know Isaiah Simmons is a stud. He's probably going to be the first linebacker selected in this group. But after that, I think it was a toss-up between Dylan Moses and Kenneth Murray for the most part. And even though Murray has been he, – he's been stellar this year, I should say. He's been much improved, I should say. Moses still was a wild card, but that wild card was something that a lot of teams would be willing to take on, even in the first round, in my opinion. So it was a bit of a roll of the dice for him to go back to school, and it's really debatable if he made the right decision, but it's just going to be really interesting to see exactly how it does unfold. But just want to get your take on that. Do you think it was the right decision, and then where are you going to be on him in 2021? Yeah, I mean, you hate to, like, judge a player's decision whether they go back to school or they go to the draft because it's their personal decision on that. But, you know, just from a draft perspective as an evaluator, I think it was a mistake. And, you know, you look at the shallow class this was, I still think he would have been a surefire first-round pick, if not top 20 pick in this class. I mean, you grab Isaiah Simmons and uh, Dylan Moses out of there, everything else in that linebacker class is a question mark, where they got hybrid guys like Zach Bond, you got inconsistent guys like uh, Kenneth Murray, Troy Dye. Uh, it's just a bunch of question marks after those top two guys. Now you take Dylan Moses out of there. Isaiah Simmons, you know, is going top 10 now. I mean, it, it, some teams are going to trade up for him and make sure they get their linebacker. Uh, so Dylan Moses, to me, I think it was a missed opportunity. But again, we don't know the severity of his knee injury. He probably knows it more than we do. And he probably thinks he's more comfortable rehabbing it and going for a senior season. Um, but I, I talked to you before the podcast. The first name that comes up to me, and you hate to bring it up, is Sean Dion Hamilton. He was a talented player for Alabama a couple of years ago. Yeah. He tore his ACL in consecutive seasons. He fell all the way to the seventh round. Obviously, I'm not talking that Bill Moses is going to tear his ACL a second time, but that's just the risk factor you take when you tear your ACL and you go back to school. So I, I, it's, just, it, it, it's just very puzzling to me, especially when you got a guy like Micah Parsons you're going to have to compete with next year who I think is one of the best off-ball linebacker prospects we've seen in the last decade. Micah Parsons is an absolute stud. He might be a top three player on my board in 2021. He's that good. Um, so it's, it's just puzzling to me why Dylan Moses thought he would be able to, I guess, gain anything more when it's such a weak linebacker class. Now, we, now let me preface this by saying this. He still has until December, uh, January 15th, I believe, to change his mind. So these decisions are not final. They're not official yet. But as it looks, it looks like he's returning to school. And to me, that's a mistake. Yeah, I'm with you. And a mistake is kind of a strong word just because we don't know exactly how it's going to turn out for him. But I think puzzling was a better word choicing for that. And I'm really glad that you did recover from that just because – it's it, we're not right to judge exactly if it was right or wrong right now, just because we don't know exactly what the NFL exactly. committee advisory board graded him. And I know I had, I can't give credit to whoever uh, posted this tweet, but he said that the only player on Alabama to receive a top 15 grade from the advisory board was Tua. 
And I just don't really believe that for whatever reason. That really seems kind of misleading. Just because I think Alabama definitely has some guys other than Tua that could go in the top 15. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see exactly what happens with Dylan Moses just because he's playing a new position in a sense, not necessarily a different linebacker position, but he's playing Mike as opposed to Sam uh, like he played in 2017. So it's really going to be a big difference for him playing exactly in the middle of Alabama's defense where he's controlling everything as opposed to playing on simply just the strong side. And I know it's kind of hard to explain just over a podcast, but it's basically like you're in the middle of everything as opposed to being one or, or exactly on one side, the strength of the formation. So that's going to be a big adjustment for him. But I'm really excited to see how he does progress going into next year. He's going to be fully healthy. And Dylan, if you're listening, of course, we're going to be watching. And we hope you have a healthy prognosis through the 2020 season. And we're going to be talking about you a lot in the 2021 draft. You going against Michael Parsons, that's really probably going to be the battle for linebacker one on a whole bunch of boards, specifically our boards as well. So uh, with that being said, I want to get into the next name, which is Marvin Wilson from Florida State. This was another decision that came as a bit of a surprise. Maybe he wasn't a surefire first-round selection, but there was no doubt he was going to go within the top 40 to 50 picks without question just because you talk about a guy that is super strong at the point of attack. He can hold down that one technique position, or he can play as a zero head-up nose technique. I think he was really scheme versatile. He can be that nose tackle in a 3-4 defense, but also he can be a one-gap penetrator as a one technique in a four-down defense as well. Super powerful. Love that he really showed the development last year. I think he really made a jump this year into the first-round discussion, and we know it's really hard for teams to take uh, specifically just a straight-up nose tackle in the first round, but we have seen it done in years past. Vita Vea is another guy that comes to mind as a guy that puts you in a similar mold as Marvin Wilson. Now, he isn't quite as explosive as Vita Vea, but he puts you in a similar uh, frame of mind, exactly the skill set that he can bring to the table. But I'm a big fan of Marvin Wilson. I love everything that he showed this year, and I believe it was his hand that he broke uh, early on or down the back stretch of the year that he ended up missing the last few games of the year. So maybe that factored into his decision. Florida State, Florida State also has a new coach in Mike Norvell who maybe instilled some hope in him that he can maybe improve his draft stock going into that new defense next year and maybe have some better results for the Seminoles next year. But another guy that it was a bit puzzling for him to go back to school, just how do you feel about Marvin Wilson and do you think he translates well to the NFL game today? Man, I'm heartbroken. I am heartbroken. I love this guy. This guy was going to be one of my top 30 players on my board. Uh, this guy was just so violent. Uh, I love his pass. If you watch the Boise State game, that's one of the best games you'll see from any prospect that was eligible this year. I mean, the, yeah. it is so violent. I mean, Hank Bachmeyer, that, court, that freshman quarterback, he still has nightmares of Marvin Wilson throwing <laughs> to the turf, man. I got to tell you, that, I, I love watching him just deconstruct blocks, the line of scrimmage at the point of attack. But here's the thing. From a draft perspective, this makes a little more sense to Dylan Moses because this defensive line class is just cluttered with talent. I mean, you're talking about Neville Gallimore, Derek Brown, Javon Kinlaw, Raekwon Davis. I mean, just names on top of names. Jordan Elliott declared as well. So there's just a ton of names, and you can kind of get lost in the traffic there if you're a guy like Marvin Wilson, who, you know, I love Marvin Wilson. I, like I said, top three player on my board if you would declare. But let's not get this wrong. He had five sacks on the year. Almost every single one of those sacks was in the first month of the season. The production tailed off for whatever reason. And I think 
teams are going to look at that. I think teams yeah. are going to look at why did your production tail off in the biggest games of the year in conference play, right? The best competition. So I think teams are going to wonder about that. I think he would have slipped down. I think he would have got lost in track behind the Kinlaws, the Browns, the Gallimores, and possibly even the Jordan Elliotts, maybe even Lucky Fotu. So it's going to be one of those decisions where I think it makes a little more sense for him to go back and kind of show me. I, I think he still has some more to prove. I think he can become a first-round lock with a big year next year. It's almost the same reason why Derek Brown went back from junior to senior year. Derek Brown had a great junior season, but he turns into an elite senior season, and now he's an elite top 10 pick. I don't think he would have been a surefire top 10 pick if he came out as a junior. So it was a classic situation where Derek Brown worked out for him. And I think Marvin Wilson, I think it's going to work out for him in his favor. I think he wants to put a consistent season of tape on for scouts next year. Definitely. And he's another guy that's going to be interesting to track next year just because they have a new scheme in place. Mike Noville is now the head coach of Florida State. So maybe he sold him something. And maybe that really was the biggest reason why he was able to come back or he decided to come back. So Marvin, once again, another guy. If you're listening, we are cheering for you and we're hoping for the best for you. Uh, But before we move on, I want to remind everybody about our ad read for today. which is Casper. The original Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with the right amounts of both sink and bounce. Get $100 towards selective mattresses by visiting casper.com slash LockedNFL and using that at checkout. Terms and conditions do apply if you can't visit Casper right now. You can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcast.com. Again, you can get $100 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com, that's C-A-S-P-E-R.com, and using the promo code at checkout, LOCKEDNFL. Terms and conditions do apply. If you can't visit Casper right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On Sponsors at LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. So diving into the college football playoff. And, of course, I would be remiss if we did not talk about Oklahoma and LSU first. (laughs) We touched on it briefly in the introduction. The Sooners faithful were all in your mentions, man. They were were just raising hell about the tweet that you sent out about LSU potentially not even punting. And we're not we're going to we're not going to sit here and talk about them punting maybe what, two or three times in the game. It was like they, let's just say they didn't punt just because they lit up the scoreboard. They almost had right, to add right. another column to the scoreboard because LSU probably could have put up 100 points in this game if they wanted no to. No doubt. That's how that's how explosive this offense was in this game. Joe Burrow was just playing the game on JV mode in NCAA football just because it just seems like you remember the game, I'm not sure if you're a huge video game player, but NBA Jam, when you were on fire, how the screen just goes oh, back. Yeah. And then oh, yeah. there was like a big fire around the player that you were shooting with. Yeah. That's the yeah. zone that Joe Burrow was in on Saturday oh, yeah. against Oklahoma, man. That secondary was just getting absolutely torched. And that was one of that might have been the best college football performance from a quarterback that I had ever seen. I mean, it was just like everything that he threw up was a touchdown or some type of completion. Even when he was, he had to scramble along the sideline and he just lobbed the ball up out of nowhere. And I forget who he completed it to, but he just lobbed it up out of nowhere. And it was like a raindrop coming out of the sky, just coming down. 
and into the receiver's hands. It was just really amazing, man. I really enjoyed that performance. That was one of the best performances that I have seen from a quarterback. And, you know, being a former quarterback, I just love seeing when guys are in the zone. And he was absolutely on fire against Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean, he might as well be searching for houses in Cincinnati right now. I mean, I, oh, I don't think question. I don't think Cincinnati would take like three or four first round picks for him. No. I think they're I think they're locked in. I, I mean, you, I, you know, they're going to be Zach Taylor, quarterback guy. Joe Burrow is the pick at one. You might as well put yeah. it in Sharpie and Stone, whatever it may be. That's permanent. they can they can start doing happen. work on their second round pick. Every pre-draft visit should be a day two, day three guy. I mean, it's 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 cemented in. Burrow's gonna be number one pick. Like you said, it's the best performance we've ever seen from a college quarterback in the college football playoff, if not the national championship BCS era. I mean, this guy was phenomenal. I'll go more modern era. It was a video gaming. It was more like takeover in 2K. Uh, he was just <laughs> it, it was bottom line. I mean, it, it was unbelievable to see him do that um another guy who balled out who I, we need to highlight is justin jefferson because it seems yeah. like he goes a l- like under the radar in this wide receiver class because this is deemed to be the best wide receiver class since 2014 the one that had odell beckham mike evans brandon Cooks, sammy watkins etc cetera, etc cetera. but uh, justin jefferson to me is another one of these big slot receivers that i think can do a lot of damage in the nfl we're starting to see a lot more of these big slots come in and, you know, instantly produce. Got Tyler Boyd, Keenan Allen, that kind of mold of player. I I kind of see his floor as kind of like a Jabbar Gaffney kind of player, right? 6'3", yeah. 194, play inside and out, has some speed, not, not going to be 4'4", but he has enough juice to test defenses vertically. Good route runner, good hands. Just a solid overall player. He'd probably be a number one, but he'd be a solid number two and a really reliable player over the middle of the field and a good safety blanket. I'm a big fan of Justin Jefferson. If he declares, I think he's a surefire day two guy. Uh, and I think this performance against Oklahoma it, it just cemented that. It, one of the best parts of Oklahoma's defense is their secondary, and he absolutely torched them. I mean, it was unbelievable. Joe Burrow and Justin Jefferson connected just every time, it seemed like. Every play, I, Justin Jefferson, I think, had four touchdowns in the first half. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, Dude, so, yeah, those two crazy. were definitely the highlights of that game for sure. The other play I want to mention is Caleb on chase on. I think he had a play where he chased down C. Lamb in the open field. I mean, yeah. this guy is unbelievable. If you don't think this guy's going to go top 20, and just keep watching his tape because some defensive line coach or linebacker's coach is going to look at his tape and see, show me the 10 best plays to chase on, and I can get the best out of him. I tell you what, he's going to look like Anthony Barr coming out of UCLA, and Anthony Barr went, I think, 10th overall, somewhere around there. And chase on is going to go very similarly. And the NFL values those kind of players really high especially with a guy like T.J. Watt putting in a defensive player of the year candidacy who was also deemed as like a guy, like a tweener, edge linebacker. So I think the NFL is starting to grow more on those guys with guys like Barr and Watt having such huge years. And the thing about Chason is that I think it's a bit misguided with him a lot, saying that he's not a really good run defender. I think he's a decent run defender. Oh, dude, he's a, he's a damn good run defender. Yeah, he is. He is, and that seems to be a weird misconception going on around about him just because you see the bit of a, a skinny frame, but it's really chiseled. So a lot of people really assume that he's not really great against the run. But just go watch him against Alabama. He was terrific in that game against the run. And there were some other games as well where he was really good against the run as well. But 
I like him a lot, man. I think you're spot on with your comparison with him about Anthony Barr. He's not quite as big as far as height-wise as Anthony Barr, but weight-wise, he's much bigger. Uh, he's right around 255, just like around what Anthony Barr was. I don't think a team is going to move him to off-ball linebacker or anything like that unless they move him to a stand-up 3-4 outside linebacker, which I think he would be very good as. But I think he can be a 4-3 defensive end as well, and I think you're spot on as far as him going top 20 just because – of any player that I'm confident about lighting up the combine, if they do participate in it, I think it's going to be Chase on. I wouldn't be not. I wouldn't be surprised at all if he runs in the high four fives. I think he's that explosive. Oh yeah. And I I think he's gonna he's gonna prove some people wrong from an explosiveness explosiveness factor, and prove that he is completely healthy from that torn ACL. Oh dude, and his length gives people problems. His ability to extend with those arms. That's why he's such a good run defender, man. That explosiveness, that first step, tight ends and offensive tackles can't deal with his quickness. And then when he has that length to kind of keep them at bay, he's a damn good run defender. I, I just do not get that, you know, narrative. You know, that's a common misconception, though. People try to connect frame to, you know, or lack of, to a lack of run ability. And it's just not the, it's not the case with Chase on. And it wasn't the case with Anthony Barr coming out of UCLA. You see, and you know, I'm not talking about Anthony Barr on the Vikings. I'm talking about Anthony Barr coming out of UCLA, who is used mostly as an edge rusher, a three-four outside linebacker. When Barr came out of UCLA, I wanted him in Dallas to be a four-three defensive end, and you know, we we just transitioned to a four-three defense and a three-four outside linebacker. Barr was able to show a lot of rush ability at UCLA. It's kind of the same kind of player with Chase on. I just cannot see how the NFL is not going to be high on him. I mean, he's going to blow up the combine. I think he's going to interview out of the roof. This guy is going to test immeasurably well. Uh, I, some team's going to fall in love with him. Say a team like Carol, uh, Arizona trades down, you know, I think they would love to have a 3-4 outside linebacker outside of Chandler Jones, especially with Terrell Suggs gone now. Uh, I think you would see a team possibly like uh, Kansas City maybe. I mean, you're, you're, or not, not Kansas City, of Seattle maybe, after losing Frank Clark and yeah. possibly Jadavion Clowney as well. So you're talking about teams are going to you know, need a three, four outside linebacker who can rush the quarterback, do multitude of things. Chason's going to be a first round pick. I'm just calling him. I'm calling my shot right now. I mean, he's going. I think he's going to have less risk to attach to him than a guy like Terrell Lewis with his knee, a Julian Aquara with his inconsistency, the Turgros matchups with potentially off the field stuff. Chason is going to go first round and possibly above all those other guys. He might be the third edge taken behind Epineza and Young. Yeah, and you think about teams like Atlanta. I think he'd be a good fit on the New York Jets, another team that needs some edge rush help. So I think both of those both of those teams will be really good fits for him. Possibly so, a trade up into the first round, get that fifth year yeah, option. Definitely. And I think he's a player that teams are really going to fall in love with, especially after the combine. So uh, with that being said, uh, before we move on and we get to our second game, the college football playoff between Clemson and Ohio State, going to take a quick break. Here's a quick word from my sponsors. All right, and we are back to discuss the second game of the college football playoff, the one that was clearly the more competitive of the night. I wish we had a setting somewhere on our TVs that we could have simulated to the start of this game, and we just could have got the Oklahoma and LSU game over with just because it wasn't competitive from the start. But this game between Clemson and Ohio State, man, it was just a scout's dream. You talk about surefire first-round picks and even just NFL draft prospects all over the all over the field, from Trevor Lawrence to Justin Fields and that rivalry that they have going on, Travis Etienne, J.K. Dobbins, 
Jeffrey Akuda, T. Higgins, Justin Ross. There's just Chase Young. There's just so many names that you can reel off about the players in this game, and I thought there were some really good standout performances. Besides the quarterbacks, Trevor Lawrence played exceptionally well, even though he did get off to a little bit of a shaky start after he suffered that hit from Sean Wade that seemed to really wake him up after that point. He ended up 18 of 33 for 259 yards, two touchdowns, but the most surprising thing of the night came with 16 carries for 107 yards and a touchdown. For whatever reason, a lot of people didn't really know that Trevor Lawrence had that in him from an athleticism standpoint. But he really proved a lot of people wrong, and he opened a lot of eyes in that department. J.K. Dobbins was exceptional, man. 18 carries, 174 yards. He had that long 68-yard touchdown uh, in in the second quarter, I believe it was, to really break the game open at that point. But Clemson, they prevailed. Just like they always do, Davo Sweeney has built a terrific program and everything that has come with it. And it wasn't that long ago where West Virginia put 70 points on them. I believe it was like 2012 or something like that, where Clemson was just, it, they were a laughing stock. And the term Clemsoning was something that went around where they just could not win the big game. But that is completely not the case now. But the biggest player that had the biggest standout performance in this game was Jeffrey Okuda, the cornerback from Ohio State, man. He was exceptional. And you talk about guys that you want to see how well they perform on the big stage. And we talked about this matchup going against T. Higgins, even though T. Higgins missed most of the first half with the concussion, I believe it was. He ended up coming back and actually scoring uh, the game when it touched, well, not the game when it touchdown, but the two point conversion to break the game open there at the end. But Jeffrey Akuda, man, he was exceptional in this game. We talk about the length, the patience with his footwork, the, the great hips that he has, and just the, everything that comes with him. He looked like a top-five pick in this game. And a lot of people hadn't really seen Jeffrey Akuda on the big stage as far as a national audience. But really, really, Twitter was exploding with, with everything that he showed in this game. And I was really happy about that just because he's an exceptional, he's an exceptional player, man. And I love everything about him. He's easily going to be one of my biggest draft crushes of this year. And I thought he was by far the best player on the field for the Ohio State defense when they were out there. So kudos to Jeffrey Okuda. He definitely would get my helmet sticker this week. If it was helmet sticker Monday, he probably would get about three or four from me from how well he played in this game. But I'll let you go over some other guys that stood out to you in this game. Yeah, I just want to touch on Okuda real quick. I think the top three on my board is pretty much locked in. Joe Burrow, Chase Young, Jeffrey Okuda. Lock yeah. it in. Put in Sharpie. I mean, uh, I, I, you know, I don't think I'm exaggerating by saying this, uh, but Jeffrey Okuda is the best cornerback prospect I've seen since Patrick Peterson. I mean, uh, I, you, know, you know I love Jair Alexander. You know I love Marshawn Lattimore. But Okuda, man, this, I, I think this guy's a better athlete than both those guys. He has is more he better than Ramsey for you? Yes, I think wow. so. See, here's the thing. I was – I wasn't as high on Ramsey. You know, I had Ramsey, I think, number four on my board. But a lot of people were saying he's like a generational guy. I, I, I saw a little more flaws in him. But, again, top four guy. I mean, you can't really say I wasn't really that high on him. But, I mean, I, I do think Akuda is the best quarterback prospect I've seen since Peterson. Mm-hmm. This guy has the length, the speed, the transition, the ability to twitch, the, the stand on the hip pocket. You saw him against T. Higgins, man. He just shut him down. And th- this guy has legit shutdown ability. And we haven't seen that in a guy, man. We you don't see many of those shutdown guys anymore. You know, it's so rare. Stephon Gilmore's the Tredavious Whites. When you can find one of those guys, it's just so valuable. Uh, it unlocks the potential of your defense, man. I mean, what's the best pass rush? Good covers. I mean, it's just uh, I gotta tell you, Jeffrey Akuda to me 
is a lock to be in the top 10. He's a lock to be in the top three on my board. I love his game. And it, it, it says a lot for me to say that he's the best quarterback prospect since Patrick Pearson. There's been a lot of guys I've loved since then. Um, but he's up there, man. Length, speed, everything you want, traits, man coverage. And he's an ascending player. I mean, it's basically his first full year as like the starter. I mean, he's, he's just it, it, the sky is the limit for him. Um, but just touching on other guys, you talk about J.K. Dobbins. I mean, you look at what Josh Jacobs did last year for Alabama in the college football playoff, you know, you know Clemson, Oklahoma, wherever it was. But J.K. Dobbins, this performance against Clemson, scouts are going to look back on this, and they're, this is why they're going to pound the table for him in the late first round, sec, early second round. And I can easily see J.K. Dobbins having the best rookie year or first three years, for that matter, of any running back in this 2020 class. He's just equipped for early production in his NFL career. So he has a great pass protector, great pass catcher. He has good vision, great contact balance, as you know, and he has enough speed, as we saw in that Clemson game, to take it to the house. I think he's going to be a stud. I've compared him to Ray Rice several times when he was with the Baltimore Ravens. I think he has the same kind of running style, built low to the ground, great on all three downs. I think he's going to be an awesome NFL player. And if I was drafted in the late first round, something like a Miami Dolphins or so, and you have you want to trade back, acquire more capital, and get a guy who'd be the face of your running game, J.K. Dobbins is your guy, man. I, I just love what he brings to the table. Do you think he can sneak in the back half of the first round? Oh, absolutely. And with these running backs, you want to get the fifth-year option because a lot of these running backs are going to look for bigger contracts now with you know Ezekiel Elliott, Todd Gurley, Melvin Gordon. You want to rack – so getting that fifth-year option on running backs is so important because you want to keep them on that rookie contract as long as you can because once you – obviously, you know, once you pay those running backs, their value continues to go. It's like, you know, buying a car when it gets off the lot in a dealership, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. You, you don't want to pay them, you know uh, – uh, you, you don't want to pay them a lot of money because it's running backs the least valuable position on the football field in terms of roster construction on the offensive side of the ball, it is. So you, you, you want to avoid paying them money as much as possible. So you want to keep them as a rookie contract as much as possible. So I think, I think when people say first round running backs, don't be surprised when you see like two or three sneak into the late first round. We've seen it a couple of years. I mean, Rashad Penny, Sony Michelle. I mean, we've seen it in recent years. I, I'm telling you, don't be surprised if J.K. Dobbins goes to a team in the 20s. I would not be surprised if he's the first running back off the board. Oh, that would not yes. surprise me at all. Absolutely. Just because. I think of all the guys at the top, I think he's the most complete as far as a guy that can run between the tackles and outside the perimeter and also be a receiving threat than any other running backs at the top. Just because we know about DeAndre Swift, but can he handle an entire workload? And Jonathan Taylor, we know he's been better as a receiver, but we still have question marks about his fumbling issues. That's the biggest thing about him. Travis ATN, we still have some question marks about his receiving ability and if he's a guy that can handle an entire workload as well. But Dobbins, man, he's a 30-plus carries guy. He's been able to do that throughout the year. Receiving production is off the charts, and we know exactly what he can do as far as a runner. I think, in my humble opinion, I think he has the best vision of any runner in this class without question. I agree. So he's the complete package, man. It would surprise me if he starts to get some RB1 discussions if he's not already there. I'm a a big fan of him. Man, let me ask you this. I'm going to put you on the spot here. And Do you think J.K. Dobbins is going to be your RB1 going forward? Because I think he is legit putting up a fight to be mine. I mean, he has convinced me throughout this second half of the season just going because big competition after week after week. You know, I think he's, like I said, most complete back in this draft. 
every other running back to me has questions. Yeah. DeAndre Swift, you know, what was he going to offer you in the passing game to me? Yeah. Uh, Travis Etienne, does he have the bulk? Does can he be a three down guy for you? Can he be the early down plotter? You know, people are going to have questions about that. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, the fumbles. So, and to me, it's between those four guys for RB one. It's going to depend on you know ice cream, right? You know their flavor. What what do you prefer? But I think J.K. Dobbins. I think most teams are going to are going to like J.K. Dobbins the most, just because he has. Like, no question marks to his game. He may not have that one elite trait, but this guy, you know he's just destined for production at the next level. I'm a big fan of him, man, and I think you're right. It's going to be really hard to keep him from being probably my top running back in my next rankings, and I'm a huge DeAndre Swift fan, but he hasn't had the production. Well, I shouldn't say he hasn't had the production just because he has a lot of career highs, but he hasn't looked like you would want a RB1 to look. And I think he's going to be better once he gets outside of that challenging Georgia offense just because they had some real issues on that side of the ball this year. If he was in Ohio State's offense, I don't want to say he would look similar to Dobbins just because I don't think he could carry the workload with 30-plus carries, but I think he would have a ton of explosive plays. So those two will probably be at the top for me as far as RB1 and RB2. And then after that, you get into Jonathan Taylor, Travis Etienne, a guy like Anthony McFarlane, and some other guys. Zach down the Moss. Line. Don't Zach forget about Moss, Zach of course. Moss. Can't forget about him. Zach Moss to well. me is Zach Moss to me is just a lesser version of J.K. Dobbins. Yeah. And I, I love J.K. Dobbins, but I think he's just a. I love Zach Moss, but I think J.K. Dobbins is just a little better at everything Zach Moss does. But there, if you miss out on J.K. Dobbins late first round, early second round, get Zach Moss in the third round. You'll get uh, like the same kind of player. And I think the difference between Moss and Dobbins is that Moss is not going to maximize those explosive plays like we see with Dobbins. But if you want a guy that can get you an explosive play of 12 to 15 yards, he definitely can do that. But he's not going to extend those big carries like 50, 60 yards down the field exactly. like Dobbins was doing. So I think that's the caveat you get with Moss. But that's not to say that he can be a productive player in the NFL just because I think he can be. Now, the injury situation, that's another thing as well. The durability concerns, he's had a major injury. Well, I shouldn't say a major injury, but he's had plenty of injuries every single year he's been in college. So that's another area that is a cause for concern. But as far as playing style, he's another guy that you definitely can see translating from day one. Uh, absolutely, and Zach Moss is one of the quietest, like good receiving, good receiving running backs yeah. in this draft. This guy had a career year receiving the ball. I mean, th- this guy to me is like a smaller version of Demarco Murray. Whereas you see a guy, you know, he's never going to burst these runs 50, 60 yards to the house, but this guy will wear you down, man. He, he can take like just, like J.K. Dobbins he can take a lot of carries. He can be the workhorse back for you, but man, he can be a three down guy. I mean, th- look at the stats here. 26 catches for 374 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, and then he had 1,400 rushing yards and 15 touchdowns there. This guy's a complete back, too. Zach Moss, to me, is a top five back in this class. So, we miss out on J.K. Dobbins. Moss is my guy. But, it, again, this running back class can be so fascinating to kind of juggle and decide who goes where. But, man, I, I think you're right. Dobbins and Swift is going to be one and two. I, me and you have been the same in our running back rankings since the beginning. DeAndre Swift, RB1. I know a lot of people have gone with the flow, you know, with ETN and Taylor. You and I have pretty much stayed steady along this, you know, the trail with Swift. Dobbins is catching up. I'm not going to lie to you. I've been steady with Swift this entire year, but Dobbins is making a serious case for that RB1 spot. He is. It's going to be really hard to hold him back from that. But uh, before we move on and we start to talk about the four New Year's Six Bowl games, here's another quick word from our sponsors. 
All right, and we are back to talk about the New Year's Six Bowl games. But the games we're going to touch on, Minnesota-Auburn, Michigan-Alabama, Oregon-Wisconsin, Georgia-Baylor. We're going to fly through all these games and just talk about some of the matchups that we're looking forward to seeing. Starting off with Minnesota and Auburn, of course, you have the headliner names, Tyler Johnson, Rashad Bateman, some other guys on defense as well, Khalil Martin, uh, Antoine Winfield Jr., I should say, and some other players on that defense. Carter Coughlin is another, another name that is very intriguing as well. On Auburn, you have Derrick Brown, of course, and some other guys uh, that are going to be playing in that game as well. So this matchup, who are some players that you're going to be looking or you have, are you looking forward to watching in this matchup? And, and, you know, I'm glad we mentioned this game first because what do you want to do at bowl games is you want a different look against big competition. That's all you can ask for for these Minnesota players. It's such a huge jump in competition going against the SEC teams. I think for Tyler Johnson especially, I think. His secondary is the Big Ten. You know, I'm not knocking the Ohio, I mean, obviously Ohio State's a different level, but, you know, you're talking about, you know, the Nebraska, the Illinois, the, those kind of teams. They're nothing compared to this. These Auburn guys, SEC athletes are just different. I think scouts want to see Tyler Johnson gain separation against these guys. Rashad Bateman, the same kind of thing. Antoine Winfield as well going up against those Auburn athletes. So I, I think it's a great platform for these uh, Minnesota uh, players to kind of show, hey, we're on this platform too. We're on this level as well. And I think this is a great opportunity for Tyler Johnson especially to show that he can stand out against SEC competition. I think of anybody that has the most to gain from this game, I think it is Tyler Johnson just because he's going to be the Hakeem Butler of this draft. And I say that just because we see how much there was a divide between draft Twitter and actual NFL evaluators. Hakeem Butler was that guy last year. And I think Tyler Johnson is definitely going to be a candidate to be that guy this year just because you see a Devontae Adams-like prospect on film. But in NFL draft circles, a lot of people aren't as high on him. And it was really surprising to see him not get a senior bowl invite. But I think he's going to tear it up down at the Shrine game. So we'll see what does end up happening in that game. But he has the most to gain from this game. And I'm I'm interested to see exactly how he does separate from some of these SEC guys just because Auburn has some very talented players in that secondary. But the next game we'll be getting into is Michigan and Alabama. There's a host of guys sitting out for Alabama. Trayvon Diggs, uh, Terrell Lewis are definitely some guys that are sitting out of this game. But Michigan does have some intriguing guys as well, uh, led by the the uh, receiving attack, which is led by Donovan Peoples-Jones, a player who has some mixed reviews right now. There's some other intriguing pieces on defense. I love LaVert Hill. I think he's an ideal nickel cornerback on the next level. And there's some other intriguing guys on that defense as well that we will be having a very close eye on. But – who are some guys in this matchup that you're looking forward to seeing? Man, I got to tell you, Josh Metellus, come ready to play, my friend. Because <laughs> this Alabama attack is Mac Jones and, you know, a lot of players sitting out. But, man, it's still Alabama. You still got the, you know, Jalen Waddle playing. You still got all these guys. That's speed. If you, if you blink, man, those guys are going to be behind you. And we saw with Josh Metellus, you know, against Ohio State. This is uh, Josh Metellus can fall asleep back there, and he's he's a Senior Bowl guy, mostly known as a box kind of player, really physical kind of dude. But man, he's just so up and down, and it's just you, you want to see consistency out of him. I don't see a great athlete. I'm just wondering if he's going to get exposed in this game. That's what he has to avoid. Just avoid the big plays, and I think it'll be a win for Josh Metellus. So that's I'll be watch, keeping an eye on him. Quiddy Pays another guy I want to watch. I think he's a really interesting name. Uh, day two, day three kind of player, versus defensive lineman. 
you remember um that they uh, Michigan had a guy similar a couple of years ago. Uh, was it Willie Henry? Something yeah. like that. Yeah, very similar kind of player. And I think he could. I think Quiddy Pay's best spot is going to be at three technique in the next level, where he can just shoot gaps with his quickness and put on 20 pounds, 10, 20 pounds or so, kind of like Willie Clark. And I think you can, or Willie Henry, I mean, but it just you, you can move all around. I, I like Quiddy Pay's versatility. I want to see him against the Alabama offensive line. I'm not sure if Alex Leatherwood or Jeter Grills are playing, but it'd be a great test to go up against those guys. And you already mentioned Lavert Hill. I would love to see him go up against like Jalen Waddle, match up that speed because I know Lavert Hill can move. So it's going to be a little bit, a lot of interesting matchups. We're just going to see who sits out or not because obviously, you know, guys like Trayvon Diggs is probably going to sit out. Uh, you got Henry Ruggs. Those guys are probably going to sit out. And obviously, two is not playing. So it's going to be interesting to keep an eye on that. But there's still so many matchups to keep an eye on here. So just a little insider info. Wills is actually playing. And I, I had a really cool, I had a really cool insight. I had a really cool DM conversation with him. I'm probably going to get him on the podcast uh, once he does end up declaring. We'll see if he does end up declaring. But whether he does declare or not, I do plan to get him on here. Really, really cool guy, man. Very, very humble person as well. So he did clarify to me that he is playing in the bowl game. So he definitely will be one name that I do have an eye on. So Big time fan of him, man. And he actually sent me a DM after I posted those clips with him from the Auburn game, you know, just thanking me about that and just just a really, really good kid, man. So excited to see him in this matchup. And I think of any Alabama player, we definitely could see him be the first name off the board from Alabama. Uh, Him and Tua definitely will probably be in the running for that. We'll see if Tua does end up declaring for that. So keep an eye on that game. Keep an eye on the name Jedrick Wills. Alex Leatherwood definitely is playing in this game as well. So really excited about those two. And uh, the next matchup that we'll get into, I think this might be the best game of the day, in my opinion, and that is Oregon and Wisconsin. This is the last hurrah for Justin Herbert. This is his last time to put some really quality tape out there and I think he's done a really good job of doing that this year but once again we're still waiting on him to have that moment and maybe this will be the moment for him I'm really hoping he does end up participating in the senior bowl just because I think he can help himself a lot there as far as clarifying some stuff about him and that's not to say he has some difficulties with his evaluation or or things are murky or anything like that but I think there is still some incomplete things about his evaluation Uh, specifically you know the big time moments can he perform in the clutch and can he just uplift the competition in those situations? But I keep saying this every time I'm asked about Justin Herbert and, you know, his, his prognosis, his draft prognosis and his stock. And I say this repeatedly every time. However you felt about him before the year is exactly how you feel about him now. He hasn't done anything to hurt or help his stock. I think he has just stayed even keel for the most part. And he's really just kept the ship afloat for the most part. I know his stats have been really great. But once you dive into the tape, I don't want to say it's a little bit underwhelming, but it's kind of like, man, that's the best way to describe it. That's the best way. And it hasn't been too exciting or anything flashy, but he does have some really good intrigue as far as, you know, the high moments that he does have, but his low moments are very underwhelming as well. So your overall thoughts on this game, Jonathan Taylor, you know, I have to mention him as well. Another player that a lot of people are going to be looking at as well. We'll see if he does end up declaring. I think I would push my chips in on the table on him declaring for the draft just because there's a lot of tread on those tires, and I think it's probably time for him to come out 
uh, so he can salvage some of the tread on those tires. And, you know, I think he could be a guy that, that definitely is a top 50 selection as well. So Jonathan Taylor, Justin Herbert, two names that we'll have an eye on in this game. But who are some other names that you're looking forward to watching? Yeah, this is the best game of the New Year's Six, in my opinion, because I think everyone, all the like notable names are playing, I believe. Um, so, like, Jonathan Taylor, how does Troy Dye maneuver that? Because Jonathan Taylor is a kind of in-your-face kind of back. And, you know, I want to see Troy Dye feel the whole little better inside game. This is a fun matchup to watch there. Then you got some center defensive tackle locks. So, Jake Hansen, I know Wisconsin is one of the most blitzing teams in the Big Ten. Chris Orr loves to fill the A-gap there. I want to see Jake Hansen handle his power. A solid center prospect for Oregon there. And then on the other side, Tyler Biotish going up against Jordan Scott. Big nose tackle for Oregon. Tyler Biotis thought to be one of the top center prospects in this draft class. Then you got a big run stuffer in Jordan Scott. Can he move him in the run game? That'll be a great matchup to watch. Then you got Calvin Throckmorton, a good tackle for Oregon, who I think's headed to the Senior Bowl. Then you got against Zach Bond, who's headed to the Senior Bowl. So a little mobile preview there. That should be fun to watch. And then you got Kayvon Thibodeau. How is he going to look? I, mean, I know he's a true freshman, but you know he's going to put on a show. Then you got Quintez Cephas, a good Wisconsin receiver who's kind of you know, he had an off-field issue early in the season, but he's since returned to the team, and he's put on a show for Wisconsin. He's going up against a guy named Diamondor Lenore, who I think will be a top 100 pick in this year's draft if he ends up declaring. So there's a lot of great matchups, not even just Justin Herbert, but just throughout the game, throughout this depth chart. Wisconsin and Oregon, they match up really well against each other. I have no idea who's going to win this game, but for an NFL draft perspective, this is an evaluator's dream because there's so many one-on-one individual matchups here. Definitely, and I'm really excited about this matchup, and I think without question, of the New Year's Six Bowl games, this is the best of the bunch, and I think there's, out of all the headliner names that are that came into this matchup, most of them are still playing, if not all of them, as you mentioned. So, Oregon, Wisconsin, Justin Herbert, let's go. Put some good tape out there, man. Finish with the name. <laughs> I'm really excited to watch him in this matchup. Wisconsin, they're known for that tough defense. Jim Leonard is an awesome defensive coordinator, so... I'm sure he'll have some good things schemed up, so the chess match in that game will be interesting to watch. But the final game of the New Year's Six, Georgia-Baylor. There was a mass exodus of Georgia players pulling out of this <laughs> game at the last second. But DeAndre Swift, Jake Fromm, both of those guys are still playing. Andrew Thomas, J.R. Reed, and some others have already pulled out of this game and declared for the draft. So DeAndre Swift is the one guy that we've talked about that we want to see in this game. We just want to see him end with a bang. There's still some question marks, or I should say there's still uncertainty out there about if he's declaring for the draft or not, even though there was an inaccurate tweet out there stating that he is going to declare. But he's already said he has not made his mind up and he's going to decide after this game. But he is RB1 currently for both of us. But we've talked about the ascension of J.K. Dobbins over the past few weeks and how that really is a debate, a heated debate that is going on right now. So we want to see him play really well in this game. On the flip side, Baylor, I think it's all about Denzel Mims in this game and just how well he performs in this game. Another senior bowl guy. And I'm not, I'm not sure if he is playing. I believe he is playing in this game. I believe that he announced that he is playing in this game. So I'm looking forward to watching Mims. Jermichael Hasty is another name, the running back that I'm interested in watching in this game that has some flashes on tape. So Baylor has some intriguing players and we'll see how they do adjust with all the rumors going around with their head coach, Matt rule and him interviewing for the Panthers and the New York giants. We'll see if they can come together on Wednesday and get that final victory of the year to move to 12 and two, but just 
Sticking to prospects, who are some guys that you're looking forward to watching in this game? Yeah, you mentioned it. I think the biggest question in this game is going to be the Baylor guys because when we talk about Big 12 competition, well, they don't play nobody. They don't play no defense. Well, they're going against a Georgia SEC defense that's been, you know, for over the last five years, one of the best defenses and the best conference in college football. So it would be a great, you know, test for guys like Denzel Mims, Michael Hasty, both senior bowl guys, to get a little preview of what they're going to see in Mobile, a little jump in competition. So a little bit of a you know transition to that. So I want to see how they look against that defense. But a big guy I want to watch is Monty Rice. Monty Rice would get another big game for him you know, on, in the Sugar Bowl here. It, 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 he might be an early declare guy, but he's playing here. He, he's one of the, like, the few Georgia guys who are not stepping out of this game. Um, so I, I want to see if Monty Rice can put up another good game of tape. Because I think with this shallow linebacker class, especially with Dylan Moses returning to school, Monty Rice can end up being one of the biggest risers if he ends up declaring. So if he can put up a good game in the Sugar Bowl, you never know what could happen to his draft stock. He might rise into, you know, that third linebacker behind Kenneth Murray, possibly. So it's going to be a big game for him and a big game for those Baylor skill players. Right. And I can't wait to watch all these bowl games, man. And I'm sure I'm going to be full from food on Wednesday and I'm going to be stuck on the couch watching all these games consecutively. So we have a great lineup on Wednesday, starting with Minnesota, Auburn at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Also, Michigan and Alabama at 1 p.m. as well. So going back and forth between both of those games will be great. Oregon, Wisconsin at 5 p.m. Eastern time. And then the nightcap with Georgia and Baylor at 8.45 p.m. Eastern Time. So we're looking forward to watching all those games, but we won't see you guys until after the new year, so we want to go ahead and wish you a happy and blessed new year. Enjoy your 2020. We will be back after the new year. We'll see you on the flip side, but once again, I am Jordan Reed. He is Jonah Tolls. Thank you guys for listening to the Locked On College Football Podcast. We will see you next year.